Amen. So the main point we have for us this morning is pray for boldness as you go. Pray for boldness as you go. Now this is coming out of, of verse 13, really, because when we see what happened, right? That Peter and John, they come back and they give a report of what had happened, um, where they had been, maybe why they weren't there last night. Hey, like we were kept in jail and we had to go through a trial because we were teaching about Jesus, right? It's pretty crazy. And you see the persecution they face, but Peter stands boldly. He, he speaks boldly this gospel truth. And I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon, though I would, and we could be here till the evening, that's fine. Or you can go back and just re-listen to it. But Peter, it, just, it doesn't take much to remember that he had just denied Jesus before a little girl. Um, then he's on trial before the Sanhedrin, which is the religious council here in Jerusalem. And he's facing persecution, not from a little girl, right? And like my, my four-year-old daughter, it's not threatening. She like wears her princess dresses and it's like, I'm not going to deny anything before like, you. You don't scare me, Maylee. Like, I, I love you. Like, you don't scare me. But now he's before the Sanhedrin, and he speaks God's word without backing down. Now, these are people who denied the resurrection of the dead, and Peter and John are out proclaiming the resurrection of the dead, so they're agitated. We read that. But in verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now let this be an encouragement to you as we get ready to really dive in that it's not about you when you share the Gospel. It's not about your formal education, though that would be great. We don't talk about it enough here, but if you're a member here of our church, we're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, you get a discount to go to seminary online. It's phenomenal. They want to give you the opportunity for formal education. But it rests not in your formal education. It rests not in your power. It rests not in my power. It rests in the power of God. And that should be encouraging to us. That when we've experienced the joy of the Gospel, when we've been saved by it, we can go and faithfully proclaim it without backing down. Formal education is great, but be reminded it's not our power, it's the power of the Gospel. Let us faithfully proclaim it. And as we go to proclaim it, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness as you go, not if you go. Amen? Amen. Three things we see here from the early church that are going to drive home our main point, pray for boldness as you go. That the early church gather, they grow, and they go. Gather, grow, and go. First point, gather. The very first thing that, that Peter and John did says when they were released, what did they do? They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord who made in heaven and earth and sea and everything. And Sovereign Lord. They go and they tell these things, right? As soon as they were released. They get there and they say, Hey, we were just preaching, right? We were sharing the good news. We healed this man who had been lame from birth. He couldn't walk. He's over 40 years old. Surely they knew the guy, right? The friends that they're reporting this, they're probably like, yeah, we, we know Bob. He can walk now, huh? Yeah. We prayed over him in Jesus' name. He stood up. Immediately his, his ankles and his legs were made strong. He starts walking around. And they got mad. We were preaching. We were telling people about Jesus. Thousands came to faith. They threw us in jail. I kind of expected that when they did it to Jesus, right? But you won't believe it. The next day, we're, we're standing before the Sanhedrin. All the guys were there, right? And we're telling them what had happened. 
They're challenging us and questioning us. They're threatening us. What did you guys do? We told them the Gospel. We told them about the resurrection of the dead. No kidding. Yeah, we told them. We didn't back down. So when they were released, they give this information, they tell them, and the people, the audience in which they're telling this to, their friends, which indicates that it's not 5,000 or 8,000, right? It's not the combination of everybody who'd been saved. This is a tighter group, right? And they're telling them what all had happened. And those, when they heard it, they lifted their voices, as, as Paul tells us in Romans, that, that together we would lift our voices and glorify God. And that's exactly what they do when they hear this report that their brothers had been faithful to the message and that God had delivered them, had, had protected them, but had used them to declare His truth. As soon as they hear it, they lift up their voices together to God and say, Sovereign God who made everything. Sovereign God. They are encouraged by their brother's work for the Gospel, for the Kingdom. That they declared this truth. That they did not deny God before man. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. We, we talk about this passage a lot, right? Don't forsake the assembly. But if you all would turn your attention to the, to the screen, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now we talk about not neglecting, but if you'd focus in on, on verse 24, what the author of Hebrews is trying to get to is, is that let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And in doing that, we must first gather together. If we aren't gathering, and not just here on Sunday mornings and gathering in this space and we read some Scriptures together, we, we say a little like, hello and goodbye and how was your week and it was good and like it's pretty basic and it's it's very surface level relationships with brothers and sisters that we're going to spend eternity with he says let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works that when we meet together that we would encourage one another whether it be by testimony or by the reading of God's Word, but we would encourage one another. And exactly what Peter and John are doing here in this passage here in Acts 4 is they are encouraging their brothers and sisters. They're not seeking the glory. They're not seeking approval. They're not seeking anything other than God getting the glory. They tell them what had happened, and because of this, they're encouraged, and we're going to see later that they grow and then they go because of it. But first, we must gather and stir one another up to good works. And it goes into Paul's words. Imitate me or follow me as I follow or imitate Christ. Now the question and the difficult challenge, the self-reflection, would be, are we in a place where we feel confident where we can look to the person to our left, right behind us, any person in here, and say, follow me as I follow Christ? Now, that doesn't mean we live a sinless life, but what it means is, is when we say those words that we confidently can assure people we are committed to this. We are committed to being changed by this. We are committing to be sanctified by this. We're committed to declaring this and loving this and delighting in this. And when we say, follow me as I follow Christ, that's what we're saying. And Peter and John are saying, these are important things for us to grasp. Now, these are important things for us to understand and to declare to the world. 
and be encouraged by one another's testimony. That when we, we get back into the group, group setting in the fall, or even summer chills this summer, that we're not just talking about how's, how's uh, the, the, the church softball league, right? Like, it's great. We won our game, right? Yeah, we won our first game this past Sunday. It's awesome. But that we would dive a little bit deeper into asking difficult questions about each other's walk with Christ and how it's going and how we can pray for one another, how we can hold each other accountable, right? Things we don't like to hear anymore. We've had it beat into our heads for so long. Accountability partners, how lame. Only lame Christianese kind of people do that. But it's not true. If we're committed to this, then we should be committed to the gathering. And in the gathering, encouraging one another to love and good works. Instead of stirring the pot with like badness, right? Like, what's your view on mask or no mask, right? That we would say, like, how's your walk with Christ? That if, if we have a moment where, where God uses us to speak boldly, that we wouldn't seek glorification, but we would encourage one another, hey, man, let me tell you this. Like, I went and knocked on someone's door. I shared the gospel. They did not like it. I, I clearly stated the truth, the good news of Jesus Christ, and I left it at that. Man, I was scared. I was nervous, right? But I did it. To God be the glory. Look what Paul says in, in Philippians 1.14. Paul says, and most, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That Paul being in prison was encouraged, that he was being placed in prison, right? He's in prison. He's locked up. And the other believers are encouraged by it to the point now where they're much more bold to speak the word without what, church? Without fear. That Paul being locked up has encouraged them. Now, we don't celebrate one another's prosecution for wrong things, right? Like if Brother Bob you know, comes in on, on Monday or Sunday and he says, hey guys, I, I was arrested Friday night. And it's like, oh no, like what happened? He's like, well, I went to the bar of the witness and like, you know, becoming all things all men, I had a few too many to drink and I was driving home and I got pulled over, but it's for the sake of the gospel. We would be like, no, Bob, like you, that's not how it works, right? We're not celebrating your imprisonment by, by acting foolishly and breaking the law and acting sinfully. But we do celebrate when brothers and sisters do not back down from sharing the Gospel, from telling the truth, from speaking God's Word. And this kind of encouragement leads us to grow. Point number two. That when we are encouraged, when we see one another, when we gather together, that we would gather around God's Word, that we would be changed by God's Word. Peter and John, and even Paul, when he writes in the Philippians, he's not, they're not pointing to themselves. They're not doing this because they feel like it's just the good thing to do. That God's Word tells us to speak boldly. That God's Word tells us to go and to share this good news. But if we're going to grow, if we're going to gather, we must gather around God's Word and seek to grow. Seek to grow. Delight in God's Word. Never get enough of it. David talked about that. Delighting, I, I delight in your Word. If indeed we've tasted and seen that it's good. But what do they do? They, they turn to God. Verse 24, Together, they, they lift up their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why do the Gentiles rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They're turning to God and His Word. And, and we see this reoccurring theme that they continue to turn to God and His Word. They continue to look to understanding. Not simply a new understanding, but this, this transitional period, right? this apostolic period, is a lot of connecting the dots and pointing people to the fact that this was all prophesied. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is our eternal God who has and always will be. And He was the plan. He was the Messiah. He was, as, as they're saying here, they're pointing us to the Old Testament Scripture that He was the anointed one against the Lord and against His anointed that Jesus was coming together and everybody would plot against Him. And they break it down for us. The Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Herod, at the moment of Jesus' birth, you go on the baby-killing crusade and we're going to try and end the Messiah before He ever gets started. Pontius Pilate, leading Jesus to His death. The Jews and the Gentiles alike plotting against the Anointed One, Jesus Christ, our Savior. They turn to the Word and they connect these dots. And two things they, two connections here. First off, it starts with their addressing of God. Sovereign Lord. Do we believe God is sovereign, church? Amen. Yes. We don't believe that God is, is, is capable of being in control. We believe that God is in control. We don't believe that God can do as He pleases. We believe that God does as He pleases. And this plan was set in motion before the foundation of the world that Jesus would be rejected, that Jesus would be plotted against. And it says, whatever your hand, uh, whatever you planned, anything that you had predestined to take place. You gave Jesus, right? You, you, you set these guys up. Herod, you put in the place. Pontius Pilate, you put in the place. The peoples of uh, Israel. The Gentiles. For what reason? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now this is God's plan, His redemptive plan for His people. Matt Chandler says this about God trying to figure out God, trying to figure out God's will. Matt Chandler says, trying to figure out God is like trying to catch a fish in the Pacific Ocean with an inch of dental floss. Now, I struggle going to Medina Lake with 140 yards of line and the best bait the world can buy and getting mystery tackle boxes and everything. And so I can just sit here and imagine what it would look like me with some dental floss going to the Pacific Ocean and trying to catch a fish. But there are things that we just don't understand and never will understand completely about God. Things that have yet to be revealed and things that God never has to reveal to us. And now this, is, this deals with the free agency of man and the sovereignty of God. Why God does some of the things He does. He's God and it's not for us to know all things. That was a problem that started back in the garden. Us trying to become God ourselves. But they look at what happened to Jesus. They look at God's plan. And they trust Him 
addressing Him as sovereign God, looking to the Scriptures, knowing that it's His plan, knowing that He does as He pleases. And they praise Him. And, and we're getting ready to turn to, to what they're addressing comes from after this. But let's, let's look at Psalm 115, verse 3. I'm going to read verse 2. That won't be on the screen. It says, Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. God is in complete control of everything that happens. And if God isn't in control, then it's not God that we're worshiping. It's an idol. It's, it's a made-up fictional being. God is in control. Jesus was the plan of the redemptive plan to save His people, to die on the cross, and it was by no means an accident that this happened. That this was God's plan all along. So they're growing together. They're encouraged by one another. They're growing in God's Word. They're growing in their understanding. And they're going because their life is being changed. Point number three. They're going because they understand the sovereignty of God. I don't care if you're a Calvinist or an Arminian this morning. When you look at God's Word, we know that there are things that God can do that only God can do, like saving people, but we are told to go. How are they going to hear unless someone is sent? And how are they going to be sent unless someone tells them to go, right? How can they hear the Word unless we go and preach it? The encouraging thing, church, this morning is that God uses broken people like ourselves to display His glory. That's how it always has been. That's how it always will be. It's God's Word tells us that. He chooses the least likely and in our weakness displays His power. So that Pastor Michael and Pastor Gary and Pastor Simon and every member of this church, we don't receive the glory. And shame on us if we do because to God be the glory alone. So as we go, we can go with confidence knowing that God is in control and God is using us to share the good news. And not just using us, church. He's commanded us. Go. And we talk about the, the uh, Great Commission. And we actually we look at the original language and we understand that it's not go, it's as you're going. There's this indication that, that we, the church, are already on the go. If we brought back these 8,000 new believers from this early part of Acts, I believe that they would be so shocked at how still we are, at how silent we are, and how unfaithful we can be at times. But as we gather together and encourage one another, we grow in God's Word and our love and understanding for it, then we can faithfully go knowing that God is entirely in control. That should drive us. Knowing that you don't have to read the, the latest Christian books, you don't have to be up on the, the wokeness to be able to reach the culture. We know that if we know the Gospel, we've been saved by it, we can go and share it and delight in it and what God does through it. And that's awesome. That is great news for us. Look at what they, they say here. So they look at God and His sovereignty. They're growing in His Word. They've, they've gathered together. In verse 29, 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all what? Boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They weren't worried about the signs. They weren't worried about the miracles. Those things were happening, but it was to display God's glory. And guess what? It wasn't them who had the power to do these things. They asked God for boldness. And while they get boldness, they say, and you, God, continue to heal and perform miracles, you do these things. Because God deserves the glory. But they want to be able to speak the word with boldness because they've been encouraged by their brothers who have gone before them and spoke with boldness. And we, church, can have confidence. There's no need for us to sit back and, and wonder like what we are missing or what we need. And yes, if, if you've got questions or you feel like you're ill-equipped, then come talk to, to one of the pastors here. The other two went on vacation, not together, but I got left in Ohio. So you can come talk to me after service and you can write them an email. Any complaints this week, go to Pastor Simon or Gary at newhilloh.com. That's fine. But we can have confidence. We'll equip you for the work of ministry. But sitting still and not asking the questions so that you can go is not an option. The author of Hebrews also writes in Hebrews 4, verses 14-16, through 16, talking about Jesus as the great high priest, it says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our conviction. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is something we ask and receive. Don't ask, you won't receive. Our sinful nature, mine included, wishes that that passage had to do with money, and if I wanted to name, a, name it and claim it for $1,000, I'd get it. I could have tax return season every month. But what Scriptures teach us is that if we lack wisdom, James talks about this. Ask, and it will be given to you. The author of Hebrews tells us that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace because we have a high priest, Jesus, who has been tempted in every way that we have been. But Jesus was sinless. But guess what, church? Jesus has given us His Spirit. The Holy God, the Holy Triune God, by His Spirit, if you've repented and believed in the Gospel, now dwells inside of you, empowers you, for the work of ministry. Gives you the boldness. Gives you the wisdom you need. Gives you the understanding when you come across a passage and you're like, I don't know what it means that it was God's plan, whatever He had predestined to take place. I don't know what it means when it, it talks about this or that. Ask and it will be given. Gather together. Grow around His Word and go. We've sat quiet far too long. But we have to ask for help. We have to ask God to give us the boldness. We have to ask God to give us the wisdom. We have to ask God to work through us. It says, and, and when they prayed together, the place they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They already had the Holy Spirit, but it goes into what Paul says when he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? You can be lacking. You could, you could definitely quench the Spirit. The Scriptures talk about that. Or you can be in God's Word. You can be in fellowship with other believers. You can be asking God for change and for sanctification. You can be on fire, as we would say. 
and be filled and go and speak with boldness. But we have to ask for help. Church, the moment we stop asking God for help should be the moment that we ask for forgiveness. When we go to share the Gospel and we're not asking God for boldness and for wisdom and to be working on that person's heart, we're resting in our power. And that should be the moment that we drop to our knees and ask God for forgiveness. Because the Gospel message is not about us. It's not about the decision we made. It's about God and His grace and it being bestowed upon His people. And we are messengers. We are ambassadors of Christ sharing that message. And boldness is this. Inviting people to Christ. Not inviting people to church. Boldness is inviting people to Christ. Not to church. Far too often we, we invite people to church because that's the easy way. But we are called to go and tell the Gospel. Inviting people to church is easy. There's plenty of churches. They've got steeples more beautiful than this, this building. And don't get me wrong, I love our building. They've got buildings on the square. They've got the steeples. And they've got clocks and towers and bells. And it's just beautiful. But what they lack is the Gospel truth. What you have if you're a believer in Jesus is the Gospel truth. You are a temple. You are to go and to be salt and light in the world. That's great. But we are to call people to Jesus. To Christ our Lord. Not simply to the church. Now invite them to church. Share the Gospel first and then you can invite them to church. Come see what it looks like when God's people gather but invite people to Jesus. And as you're going to do that, pray for boldness. It's time we get up on our feet. And church, if you all would, go ahead and stand. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute. But we need to get on our feet and go, not simply gather in, not simply grow. Like Maybe, maybe you are one of those guys who, who needs five gold stars. You, you know a lot about the Scriptures. You can reference all the Scriptures. You quote it a lot. You, you're just a scholar, right? You're a theologian by trade. But don't gather all that information and not go. Don't withhold the Gospel truth. Don't hold the message back that God has called us to go and to proclaim. But always, stop and pray for boldness as you go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for not just Peter and John. We thank You for the early church. We thank You for the Old Testament saints. God, we thank You for those who have gone before us. All of them. But God, right now, I pray that we would see the need to pave the way for the next generation. Not showing what a simple faith and, and relaxed faith looks like, but an obedient, steadfast, radically renewed faith looks like for this next generation. Say, hey, people aren't going to like you. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the God that saved you and now lives inside of you. Pray that we would be reminded of those words from Jesus. That they reject us because they reject you. 
God, I pray that, that we would be encouraged by one another and the testimony from one another. That we would share stories of, of faithfulness. We would share stories of how, how You saved people by using broken vessels like us to display Your glory. And Lord, I pray that You would receive all of the, the glory through it. That not for a moment we would take for granted the fact that You, our holy God, are using us. That You have called us to faithfulness. You've called us to obedience and You've called us to be messengers of this good news that saves and gives life and gives it abundantly. Lord, I pray that you would, you would lead us. God, You would show us the doors that You have opened for us. And I pray that You would prepare the way going ahead before us and softening the heart of the listener. God, as we go out being faithful to this message, God, we trust You, our sovereign God, that You will be faithful in saving people. And we get to sit back and watch. We get to sit back knowing it's not us who will build the church, but it is You who are building the church. And to You be the glory forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.